At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Through our message series, Soul Food, when a meal with Jesus was more than food, we'll unpack what Jesus has to teach us from the time He spent around the table. Here, in the ordinary, everyday sharing of a meal, we'll discover who Jesus came for, what it takes to be with Him, and how you and I can be changed by His greatness and grace. Well, let's uh, open the scriptures again to the Gospel of Luke. We're in chapter 9, verses 10 through 17. Um, and today is unique. Well, let me remind you, uh, this, this sermon series, Soul Food, or A Meal with Jesus, we're working our way through the Gospel of Luke, and especially looking at the different meals Jesus had. You guys may remember the first week I shared with you, one scholar says that within the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is either going to a meal, at a meal, or just having left a meal. There is never not a time when a meal is not involved in the movement of Jesus. Um, so meals are a really big way that Jesus ministered the gospel, that he connected with people. And so we're kind of working our way through the gospel of Luke, looking at these different meal scenes um, leading up to Good Friday and the Lord's Supper, um, and then Easter morning, uh, Jesus had another meal with his disciples, even after he rose from the dead. So that's the way we've kind of structured this sermon series. And the meal we're looking at today is unique because it's one of the only ones that Jesus hosted. It's one of the only meals that Jesus himself hosts and provides the food. Uh, so you remember two weeks ago, the party that Jesus ate at was at Matthew's house. It was a big party with a bunch of tax collectors. And then last week, the party was at a Pharisee's house. The meal was at a Pharisee's house. His name was Simon. But then today is one of the only meals that Jesus himself hosts. So if anyone has ever ragged you for always going over to other people's houses and eat their food, you can say, hey, I'm just following Jesus, man. I mean, the large majority of the time, he was eating at other people's homes. So don't feel bad if, if, if you're that guy. In high school, my dad and brothers, we would very often cook steaks on Saturday nights that we were all together. We would marinate them all afternoon. Then we'd fire up the grill, bake some potatoes, have a little side salad, some dinner rolls, and the steaks were so tender, so flavorful. My young body was growing fast. I could burn through those calories quickly, but still, that heavy meat and potatoes meal left me feeling fully satisfied. More recently, Meg and I celebrated birthdays and anniversaries. We'll travel down to Somerset Mall in Troy and eat at our favorite restaurant. It's called Jay Alexander's. And the food there is so rich and the portions are so ridiculously large. We like limp out of the restaurant and we got to walk it off. We are physically, overwhelmingly satisfied. And we never get to have dessert at Jay's because we cannot resist the spinach con queso as a cheese dip appetizer. So by the time dessert arrives, there is no room left. That's one of the powerful effects of a large, delicious meal. It leaves us full, satisfied. We've got no room left and no more desire to eat left. Well, as we look at Scripture, we see that God has woven this experience into creation. 
this satisfying experience of eating, God has woven it into creation. And one of the reasons he has made life like this and made eating like this was because he wants to teach us how he satisfies us. In Psalm 63, David is praying to God and worshiping God. And in verse 5, he says, My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips. Similarly, in Psalm 107, verse 9, the psalmist writes, God satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul God fills with good things. In other words, these writers are saying, God, you satisfy me like a juicy, tender, grilled to perfection, 18-ounce New York strip. God, you fill me beyond capacity like the unlimited chip refills for my spinach con queso at J. Alexander's. You satisfy me with fat and rich foods, the hungry soul you fill with good things. So the experience of eating a satisfying meal is meant to teach us how God satisfies us, body and soul. And yet at the same time, this is a hard lesson to learn. Is God enough for me? Can God truly satisfy me? Or must I look elsewhere for ultimate satisfaction? Because the trials of life and the temptations of sin, it makes us wonder, is God enough to satisfy the longings in my heart in the same way that great food satisfies the hunger in my stomach? Or must I look elsewhere to other people or sinful behaviors for my ultimate satisfaction? Well, the good news held out to us in Luke chapter 9 is that Jesus is enough to fully satisfy everyone who comes to him. Jesus is sufficient to fill our souls to capacity in the same way that a great meal fills our bellies to capacity. We may wonder and we may doubt, but in his life, especially through what he does here in Luke chapter 9, Jesus demonstrates his willingness and ability to satisfy beyond measure everyone who comes to him. And we can see this in at least three different ways. So we'll break this passage down into three attributes or three characteristics of the all-satisfying Savior. First, Jesus is never too tired to welcome those who seek him. Jesus is never too tired to welcome those who seek him. So again, this scene unfolds just after the 12 disciples return from their mission trip. Earlier in chapter 9, as I said, Jesus had sent the disciples out across the region. He told them, proclaim the gospel, heal diseases, cast out demons. Well, we see in verse 10, they've now returned, and that's where this new scene begins, verses 10 and 11. On their return, the apostles told Jesus all that they had done. Jesus took the apostles and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. So they're traveling from one town to another. When the crowds learned that Jesus had left the town and was going to another, the crowds from the first town followed him. 
And Jesus welcomed the crowds. And he spoke to the crowds of the kingdom of God. And he cured those who had need of healing. So the apostles are sharing their war stories. They're sharing their experiences from this mission trip. And they're making their way from this to this town called Bethsaida. And it seems like a part of their goal from moving from one town to the next is to get some privacy and alone time with Jesus as they travel away from the crowds that Jesus had most recently ministered to. However, the crowds in the first town are like, hey, Jesus is leaving, we're going with him. We're gonna travel with him. Now you can imagine that the disciples are a little disturbed by this. They've just spent several days, maybe weeks on this mission trip, ministering in the different towns, busy with their activities. Now they want some alone time with Jesus, share their stories, ask him questions, just have some alone time with Jesus as they travel. This makes me think about when I served in student ministry at Woodside Romeo, and I think our student directors still do this today. But after our weekend-long winter retreats up north, we would cancel that following Wednesday's student ministry program. And the thought was, hey, our staff, our volunteers have spent 48 straight hours traveling with students, sleeping with students, eating with students, all their meals, talking with students, playing games with students, teaching students. So maybe, just maybe, it's a good idea to now give them a break from students for just a week. Give them some time with Jesus. Have some alone time. Well, that's kind of what the disciples are after here, but it isn't happening. Jesus leaves and the crowds go with him. So it would kind of be like if a student ministry volunteer woke up after retreat on Monday morning and a group of students were right outside on their front porch, ready to go all over again. More Bible study, more questions, more prayers, more activities. You can imagine that student ministry volunteer might be a little edgy about this. Well, that's where the disciples are. That's what they're experiencing here. But you saw it there at the end of verse 11. When the crowds heard that Jesus had left, they followed him out of town and Jesus welcomed them. Jesus received them. Jesus was not prepared to reject him. He opened himself to them. He taught them about the kingdom of God. He cured all who had sickness. Jesus is never too tired to welcome those who seek him. Sometimes with my own struggles, I get tired of taking them to Jesus. It's like, oh man, the same sin. The same struggle, the same failure, it's so frustrating. I'm so tired of it. But we see here that even though we may grow tired of struggling, we may grow weary with the same uncontrollable sins, Jesus does not grow weary of ministering to us. Jesus is not reluctant to show you grace just because you need so much grace for the same struggles you've always had. Jesus is not exhausted by you. Have you ever heard someone say that about someone else? Man, they're so exhausting. I can't take them today. Jesus will never say that about you. Jesus will never say, Man, you exhaust me. 
Jesus is always ready to receive those who seek him. He is never too tired. And it's his welcoming, hospitable heart that satisfies us. That is what lets us know that he accepts us and loves us, no matter how exhausting we may be. The second attribute of Christ that we see here is that he is never too powerless to provide for all who need him. He's never too powerless to provide. So this eager crowd has left their town to follow Jesus to Bethsaida, and it seems like in between the towns as they are, they're sort of in the middle of nowhere in between these two towns. Furthermore, the day is coming to a close, and it's supper time, about time to eat. So let's pick it up in verse 12. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came to Jesus and said, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside so that they can find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. So the disciples have a very practical solution here. It's getting late. We're in the middle of nowhere, a desolate place, and we know these crowds followed you out here, Jesus, but it's time to send them home. So have you ever had someone over to your house to hang out in the afternoon and their stay with you starts to stretch toward dinner time and you didn't really have plans to feed them? So you start to give the goodbye, start to give the dismissal signs saying things like, well, it was, it was great to have you guys over. You know, we'll, we'll have to do this again sometime. And of course, all of that is code for, okay, it's time for you to leave. Well, again, that's where the disciples are at. They're telling Jesus, hey, hey, this has been fun, but it's, it's time to send everybody away. We're in a desolate place, and they need to eat soon, and we don't have provision. Verse 13, Jesus responds, you give them something to eat. So Jesus puts it on them. He says, hey, you guys are the great apostles. You guys have just been on this trip preaching with authority, casting out demons, performing miraculous healing, so you can feed this crowd. You give them something to eat. Middle of verse 13 into 14, they respond, we have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless you want us to go buy food, for there are about 5,000. So they're a little sarcastic. You want us to go buy food for 5,000 people? Again, the disciples' response is very practical, very realistic. We don't have enough. All we've got is five loaves and two fish. At the end of verse 14, Jesus responds, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. In other words, Jesus says, watch this. If you don't think you have enough, then you don't know who you're talking to. Have you not read about how God provided manna from heaven for the newly freed Hebrew slaves in Exodus chapter 16? Have you not read about how God provided manna from heaven, quail for that same group of Hebrews later in Numbers chapter 11? Have you not read about how God provided bread for a hundred men just out of a few loaves in 2 Kings chapter 4? Jesus is saying to his disciples, you don't think you have enough because you don't know who I am. Have the people sit down and I will provide. 
That's why we have this phrase, eat like a king. Or we'll say, we're eating like kings. It's the way we express that we're eating like people who have an endless source. We're eating like people who always eat the best food because they can always afford and provide the best food. We're eating like kings. My wife's uncle is a man named Dan Coates. If you're into politics, that name may be familiar to you. He was a U.S. senator from Indiana, elected to multiple terms, U.S. senator, not state senator. And eventually, President George W. Bush appointed Uncle Dan to be the U.S. ambassador to Germany, which is a very important role. Germany is a key ally and economic partner for the U.S. This is a big role. And at one point during his eight-year span, Meg and her family took a trip to Germany to visit Uncle Dan, and they got the royal treatment. They had secret service. They had their own driver. They got VIP access to all the important places to visit, and they ate like kings. Champagne, fine wines, German cuisine, great food. Tragically, this was just a few years before Meg and I started dating, so <laughs> I have only seen pictures. But on that trip... They ate, and they were provided for like kings. They ate in accordance with who Uncle Dan was, this very prominent role. Brothers and sisters, Jesus has the prominent role. He is God incarnate. He is the Lord of glory. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and He provides for His people in accordance with who He is. Jesus is never too powerless to provide for all who need Him. So we must ask ourselves, who is Jesus to you? How would you answer that question? Who is Jesus? Is He just a myth is just some religious teacher, or is he the king who provides for his people like a king? That's what the gospel declares, that in Jesus, the kingdom of God has come near. Jesus is making it on earth as it is in heaven, where God provides for his people beyond measure. That's who Jesus is, the high king of heaven, who brings God's kingdom to earth providing for all his people, satisfying our souls. He is never too powerless to provide for all who need him. Finally, as this miraculous act takes place, we see that Jesus is never too limited to satisfy all who hunger for him. Jesus is never too limited to satisfy. Jesus has the disciples direct the crowd to take their seats. And then in verse 16, it continues taking the five loaves and the two fish, Jesus looked up to heaven and he said a blessing over the food. Then he broke the loaves and he gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. So Jesus speaks this blessing over the meal and just like the divine voice who speaks creation into existence in Genesis chapter one, Jesus' word of blessing multiplies this meager offering into a all-satisfying feast. And the way this is worded is important. At the end of verse 16, it says that Jesus gave the food to the disciples to set it before the crowd. And that word gave there, it's the Greek word didomi, 
It's in the per- imperfect tense, which carries the idea that something happened in the past and it continues to happen into the future. So Jesus gave the bread and the fish and he kept on giving the bread and the fish. So this is easy to imagine, right? The disciples have thousands of people to serve, so they'll take a basket out to serve, then they have to come right back to Jesus for him to give them more. Jesus gave the disciples bread and fish, and he continued to give the disciples bread and fish. This is why the Christian Standard Bible translate this verse, Jesus kept giving the bread and the fish to the disciples to set before the ground. He just kept doing it and kept doing it, kept giving and kept giving until every one of them was satisfied. Verse 17 says they all ate and were satisfied and what was left over was picked up, 12 baskets of broken pieces. I don't know about you guys, but one of my pet peeves is throwing food away. It drives me bonkers when my kids don't eat all their food and I have to throw some of it away. So whenever it's my turn to do the grocery shopping or if I'm making the order at the restaurant or if I happen to be cooking and measuring out the portions, I will always provide the least amount possible so that everyone's fed and I don't have to throw everything out. It drives my wife crazy because she's like, you're not getting us enough food, but I'm going crazy throwing away food. So I get real skimpy on the portions. But friends, that is not Jesus here. He feeds this huge crowd and he has a huge amount left over. Everyone is satisfied and more people could have been satisfied if they were there. Jesus is never too limited to satisfy all who hunger for him. The question is, do you hunger for him? Do you long to be satisfied, not just in your body with a good meal, but do you long to be satisfied body and soul? I urge you to believe that Jesus is enough. He is enough to satisfy all who come to him. The love in his heart toward broken people satisfies our need for love. The truth in his teaching for those of us who are ignorant, it satisfies our need for truth and clarity about who God is and what he's like. The grace in his sacrifice for sinful people, his grace satisfies our need for assurance that God accepts us and welcomes us despite our many failures. Trust that Jesus is enough for you. He is more sufficient than any earthly substitute. His power to provide fills every need in our hearts with more left over. Trust in the satisfying Savior and receive from his infinite supply. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.